0: Thank you, choir. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 2. Go ahead and uh, hold your spot there. You may have already had that spot held for the last few weeks already, Luke chapter 2, as we finish out a series today that we started two weeks ago. So this is the third message in the series, um, Those Days These Days, and uh, we're going to finish it out here in uh, a portion Of Luke chapter 2, one of the best, probably the most clear, one of the best passages in Scripture that we read the details of what we would call the Christmas story. It's going to be right here in Luke chapter 2. So we've been moving through it. A lot of you have said that on Christmas Eve that part of your tradition is reading this passage of Scripture. Whether that's your exact tradition or not, I encourage you at some point, Just to sit down between now and Christmas and uh, just to read through those 20 verses. They are just a phenomenal picture of what took place. It's all true. It's all accurate of what took place. On that first Christmas, of course, Christmas terminology is not used, but for us, we understand that was Jesus coming, and that uh, that is exactly what Christmas is uh, is all about, and what it celebrates. Well, how many of you have probably? I'm sure many of you have met that person who was the back in my day person, right? That when you get in conversation, they always want to tell you what it was like back in their day. And maybe you're that back in my day person. And and it seems like it comes up at random times. I mean you can be talking just about anything. And uh, but they want to tell you about how life back in their day was different. And it's kind of a you know back in my day, you know, one of those moments, you know, we walked uphill to school both ways, kind of that 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 picture and in the snow too, by the way. Or back in my day, we had telephone books, right? We didn't have little gadgets. We had telephone books. How many of you have telephone books by the way? All right? "'Wow, are you serious, really?' They make those still. I'm not talking about the islands one. I'm talking about the one that's like this thick, the whole big city of Savannah. When, wow, that's impressive. Fire starter, I guess. And uh, you could use those. But back in my day, right when I was a little kid, I was. I remember riding. Do you remember riding in the back window of the car? When you could do that, you could just ride. Not on the outside. <laughs> that's that's child abuse. But on the inside, where you could ride in the back window, and you could just there were no laws really. You end to wear your seatbelts. You could just tuck up in there on vacation. I remember riding. And the floorboard of the car, we'd go on trips, and I'd be on the floorboard, and if it was cold outside, it was really warm where that hump was, kind of, and probably dangerous too, I'm sure, but what a great place to ride. Well, that was back in my day, and you remember, you've got your own version of back in my day right? You, you understand what that means. Well, there, there's a point where we carry that mentality over a lot of times mistakenly to the Bible and our view of Scripture. And we view the Bible as kind of a back-in-those-days perspective. And, and we see Scripture as, well, those were different people. Those were Bible people. Those weren't real people. They don't understand me, and they weren't like me. It was Noah and David and Paul and Peter and all those people. Those were Bible people back in those days, and they were just different than me today, and we look at the Bible times as but that was just so long ago, the New Testament two thousand years ago, creation six thousand years ago right the, the the exodus, all that happening thousands of years ago and, we, and when we say, well, those were back at those days, the the principles and the truths back then. They don't really carry over to life in these days, in, in my current setting, and that couldn't be farther from the truth, because what we find is, is that this book that God has written that we call the Bible overlays perfectly and beautifully with the details of our lives today, and even though they were different people... They were more like you than they were different from you, even though it was a different age and, and they didn't have a lot of the trappings of this life and, and, it, and it was just different. I mean, you can't get away from that back in those days. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply and translate to these days in which we live. And so what we've been looking at is this series called Those Days, These Days, and we've been just examining the the, the passage of Scripture that tells us the details of the Christmas story, Luke 2, 1 through 20. And we've been looking at what it was like in those days because it's so vastly different than today. But we've also been realizing as we move through this and now this, the third message of the series, the final message of the series, we've been also looking at how what happened those days speaks loudly into what goes on in these days as well speaks loudly in the details of our lives and so two weeks ago we kicked off this series and we looked at luke chapter one verse chapter two verses one through seven and the summary of that was that that was the point where we're introduced to some of the key players in the christmas story one was a man named caesar augustus caesar augustus was the roman ruler at the time and he issued this imperial edict right it was a decree luke uses that terminology a decree that he issued that everyone had to go back to their ancestral home to be registered basically or counted in the census, probably for taxation purposes. And so Mary and Joseph leave their, their, uh, their hometown where they were living at the time at least of Nazareth. They travel 80 miles to Bethlehem in obedience to what the Roman ruler of the day commanded. And when they traveled there, they learned along the way, and when they got there, that in those days, circumstances were so badly out of control. It seemed like circumstances were just swirling mindlessly out of control. Joseph is leaving behind his carpenter shop. Mary is expecting, and she's having to ride probably an animal, right, or or, or at best something pulled by an animal, all the way 80 miles to Bethlehem. And, And they're reminded that in those days, circumstances were so out of control. But in these days, circumstances are also many times badly out of control. If I were to ask you to raise your hands, and I won't, but if I were to ask you to raise your hands, how many of you have experienced circumstances feeling like they're out of control? Just this past seven days, probably over half the people in this place would raise your hands, right? It's not just in those days. It's in these days too, In those days, they experienced the unexpected becoming reality for them. She gave birth in this this city, right, that wasn't home for her. She gave birth in this place at a time that she probably didn't expect, and they weren't expecting to be where they were. I mean, they were just in a probably a back shed somewhere where the animals were kept. There wasn't room in the inn, and the unexpected became reality for them. The unexpected becoming reality was not just in those days. You've experienced that in these days, too. And for some of you in this past year, you had all kind of unexpected become reality in your life. But in the midst of all of this, man, God was working this awesome, beautiful picture of salvation that, that fulfilled prophecy from hundreds of years before. And Jesus was coming to fulfill prophecy. And in those days, he did just that. He worked his perfect plan. But in these days, he's still working out his plan. He's still carrying out that plan to perfection and leading people to himself. And so week one, that's what we looked at. We looked at how God was at work and he was orchestrating all the details of this beautiful plan. Last Sunday in message number two, we introduced another set of characters into the true story, that being the shepherds. We're going to unpack them a little bit more here today, but for the shepherds, ultimately they're out on the hillside and uh, this angel chorus comes. It was one guy singing a solo first, one angel, and then it became an angel chorus, right? This multitude of angels and they're proclaiming that a Savior had been born, not just a Savior who would save them from their sins, but it would be Christ, it would be the Messiah, and also this Savior would be the Lord, uh, a very clear attachment to the fact that this baby born was going to be would be no less than God himself. And so the shepherds were there to witness this, and they heard this, and, and when the story ended, they've got everything there uh, in their knowledge uh, of where to go and who they're going to be looking for, that being the coming of God himself and the person of Jesus. And so to set a little bit of context today, let's pick up in a passage that we read last Sunday, and then we're going to add to it verses 15 through 20 as we finish out this series in the book of Luke chapter 2. And so let's jump in here. Let's set some context looking at verse 18, or rather verse um, uh, verse 8 through verse 14. So it says, in the same region And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased, that this angel host would sing glory to God in the highest. They were praising God. And it it, it wasn't about them. And nobody went away that day ultimately saying, think about all these angels. Think about what we just witnessed. Think about what just occurred. No, they went away saying glory to God in the highest, right? That's what they took away from this, these shepherds, glory to God. And we pick up the story there in the next verse, verse 15, and let's see what their response was after hearing from God. It says in verse 15, "...when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us." And so they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child." And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Probably on your manger scene at home, you have the shepherds. If you have a really expensive manger scene, there's probably a handful of shepherds. If you got it at Walmart, right, you probably got two guys with some raggedy clothes holding a staff. Those are the shepherds in the manger scene. We know kind of what they look like because our minds can fill in the details of what we would think they would have dressed like. What we don't know is part of the backstory of who these shepherds exactly were. They're not named by name. We're not told how many there were. But what we do know about shepherds in those days was a simple fact that they would have more than likely been hired hands here in this setting. They they would have had a job to perform. This would have been their job. They watched after sheep. During the day, they would carry the sheep or lead them from pasture to pasture to find grass to eat, right, to feed them. They would lead them to a place where they'd find water so that the sheep could ultimately be cared for and nourished. And then at night, according to what Jesus said in the Gospels later, speaking of himself when he talked about himself as the good shepherd, more than likely what they did was they often uh, often as well laid over the doorway of that sheep pen to provide safety at night for the sheep. Jesus would later say, I am the door, right? In other words, to come to the Father, you have to come through Him. But a shepherd in the first century would often protect his sheep by laying across the entrance to the sheepfold at night. More than likely, this is what these guys did. This was their job. This is what they were about. They weren't fancy. They weren't rich. They were hired hands. This is is what they did. What we don't often realize, and the biblical story doesn't tell us this, history tells us this, is that shepherds were not held in high regard in the first century in Jewish culture in the Roman world. They were the lowest. No, let me take that back. They were the next to the lowest of the low. There was one group of people in that culture in Jewish society that were looked at more lowly than a shepherd in those days, and those would have been the leper's those who had leprosy were at the absolute bottom. They had to stand on the side of the road and ring a bell and call out themselves as having leprosy. They had to identify themselves as lepers, right, in the first century Jewish culture. The shepherds were one step above that. That's where they were. They were not seen in high regard. They were often uh, uh, treated differently. They weren't able to worship As Jews, because of their vocation, they worked all throughout the week. They weren't able to ultimately go to the temple, and so they weren't held in high regard. They were kind of out of favor with God, at least the way they were viewed in Jewish circles. They were many times uneducated, more often than not unskilled. They were, uh, history tells us, often seen as uh, uh, irresponsible. They were uh, not dependable. They were dishonest, and they were thieves, These were not people that you would expect to be in the very centerpiece of the Christmas story. They were outcasts. They were kicked to the curb. They were pushed to the fringes of everyday life. And yet right here in the midst of this story, they find themselves in the very centerpiece. Verses 1 through 20, they come into the story in the very middle, right? And we find there from there all the way through, they're a part of this first Christmas story. And it reminds us that in those days, when we look back... that first Christmas 2,000 years ago. In those days, ultimately, the least likely were included in God's story. That is just amazing to me. I mean, the magi, right? We call them the the three wise men. You would expect them to be in the story. I mean, there's a reason when you look in your manger scene at home, I mean, the wise men, they got it going on, man. They got crowns, on their head. They got all the nice clothes going on. The shepherds, again, they get a stick. That's all they get in the in the major scene. That's all they got. Check it out when you get home, right? They don't get a whole lot. The wise men, we think, are going to be in the story. We expect them to be in the story. They're the upper echelon, right? They're the ones who are learned, they're skilled, they travel, they had wealth, they were able to bring gifts. We think that they will be in the story. But the shepherds, man, we don't think they're going to be in the story. And yet, God included the least. The least of these in his beautiful, amazing story, ultimately, not just of Christmas, but of salvation. Let me ask this question. So if the shepherds were included in the story as the least likely, if you had the responsibility to rewrite this script and you had to choose the players, who would you choose? At, well, first of all, would you include the least likely in the story to begin with, right? But if you did, who would fill the responsibility or the role of the least likely in our culture today and these days? Who would you choose to fill the least likely? Who would our culture choose? Homeless? Come off the parkway? Holding signs? Drive under the parkway? You see tent city scattered around our city? Would the homeless be included in that group as the least likely to be part of the story? Jesus, Luke chapter 9, said that the birds of the air have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, speaking of himself. Jesus would have identified like this with the homeless of our day in these days. Which other least likely will we include? Would we include the outcasts of the culture, whatever that looks like? You may have your definition of who's in the outcast group, right? You may have your kind of a paradigm of who falls into that category of as the outcast. Would you include the outcast in there? Just remember, Jesus said, Luke chapter 14, the same book, moving ahead 12 chapters, Luke chapter 14, he says, hey, listen, when you throw a party, don't just invite all the rich people. Don't invite all the people that are just like you. Don't invite all the people who have the means the very next weekend to pay you back for the party that you invited them to. Don't invite those folks, he said, but when you throw a party, invite the ones who are on the margins. Invite the ones who can't repay you. Invite the ones that are overlooked. Invite the ones who, who, who are the poor of the this culture. Invite them to your party, and when you do, you will be blessed as a result of it. We would look at the outcasts of our culture, whatever they look like, right? And we would say, maybe they would be the ones that God would include in the midst of His story. Certainly, I think Jesus would have if it was these days, because He identified with them. Would it be those who failed? Would it be those who blown it? Would it be those who, who were diseased, who were sick, right? Jesus touched the lepers, Nobody else would do that. The rabbis of the synagogue, they, are, uh, they, they, they certainly, or the temple, they certainly would not have done that. Jesus would come, and he touched the lepers, and he made time for them, and he spoke to them, and he loved them, and he demonstrated that love in very tangible, tangible ways. I mean, would, would they be the ones that would be included as the least likely in the story? Maybe the lawbreakers. What about them? Those that have been caught, those who hadn't been You realize when Jesus chose his disciples, 12 of them he handpicked, right? Chose them by name, picked them out, you, 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 12 of them. One of them, Judas Iscariot. John, after the fact, looks back when he wrote his gospel a few decades later, and he describes Judas Iscariot as a thief, one of Jesus' own disciples. And and, and he says in John 12, I believe it is, he said that, that he was the one who kept the money bags, and when he had opportunity, he would pilfer those bags. He would pilfer the money that was there for his own, obviously for his own benefit. You think do we think Jesus didn't know John was gonna or Judas Iscariot was gonna turn out that way? Sure he knew that. He's God. (laughs) And yet he handpicked him for some reason to be one of his twelve disciples. You know, in those days the least likely were a part of God's story. The shepherds were the ones that nobody would have have recognized. They were the they were the least likely. And yet here's what we know about them. They were the first to hear the message that Jesus had come. They were the first that we have recorded in Scripture pretty much to believe the message that Jesus had come. And we know that because they showed up on the scene. And when they left, they were praising and glorifying God. Their lives were changed by what they witnessed that particular day. And they were the first ultimately to go with the message And to share the message that Jesus had come. And it was the very least likely of that particular group that God ultimately would be used. The least likely were part of His story back then. The least likely are still part of God's amazing story of grace still even today. You know, maybe that's you. (laughs) Maybe he found you. At the end of your road where you had nowhere else to go. Maybe he found you in a ditch somewhere. Maybe he found you in addiction. Maybe he found you in the midst of failure. Maybe he found you in the midst of having wandered so far away from him and having this pile of cost and consequences that were now a part of of your life. And maybe for you, you would see yourself as the least likely. And he found you where you were. And man, he pursued you and he came to you. And this wasn't just a story back 2,000 years ago where he came to the least likely of the culture, and he drew them to himself. Man, you're a part of that story, and you remember when he found you where you were, and you remember how he tracked you down and he caught you almost like in a web, and he brought people across your path, and you had a college friend or a roommate who shared the gospel, or you had a family member who prayed for you, and all these circumstances came together until one day you came to the place where you just finally let it all go, and you gave your life to Jesus, and he met you there at the end of your road, in the midst of your addiction, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your loneliness, and he changed your whole entire life. And it's not just back in those days that he's ultimately including the least likely in a story, it's in these days. And man, let me just say, and if I was in any church in this country today, I would say the exact same thing, and I say it to you, and I say it to me, that if we ever forget that we are also numbered amongst the least likely, we have taken one giant step away from the story of God. Churches all over this country today are filled with people who think we deserve all of this. And because we have jobs or because we have families or because we have friendships or because we have influence or because we have something we think is called power or because we drive a nice car or we've got a lot of friends on Facebook or because we have have all these things in our life that are part of us, listen, we come to a place if we're not careful to where we forget that we were the least likely. And we pray not with a sense of Humility that, oh my goodness, the God of the universe hears me, leans in, because he cares to hear me. We bring a posture that says, the God of the universe better give me what I'm asking for. Because we lost sight of the fact that we also are the least likely in these days, the way the shepherds were in those days. In those days, God included the least likely in his story. In these days, he does much the same. Look at what it says going back again to verse 15. Move through a little more slowly here. He says, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven... The shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then. See this thing that has happened in which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Put yourself in the shepherd's shoes for just a moment. All right, so you're on a hillside and you're watching sheep and you're getting paid for it. And you're out there on that, that, that hillside, and all of a sudden, I mean, you've already kind of settled in for the night. You, you've already had your dinner over the campfire, and you've already told a few stories. You're just sort of waiting for dawn to come, and you're sitting out there, and all of a sudden, boom, everything changes. This one big giant angel shows up that just brings fear into you, and the first thing he says is, don't be afraid, and you're thinking too late, sorry, I'm already afraid, and he shares with you. There's a Savior born in Bethlehem, and, he, and He's a Savior. He's Christ, the Lord. And then all of a sudden, boom, all these chorus of angels show up, and it's just multitude of angels that are singing, and it's just blowing you away. And finally they tell you, here's how you're going to find Him. He's going to be laid uh, in a manger, and He's, and he's going to be wrapped in cloths. And, and so they, poof, they all go away. And so you talk about, you know, with yourselves and, and Luke paints the picture that they, they it's like they talked and they, they decided together, like, hey, let's just go see this. And imagine that if that was the proclamation of it all, if that, if that was the, the prelude, that if you got an angel chorus, show up. To just announce it, what do you think it 's going to be like when you get there right you 're talking about like a band probably and lights and smoke and all this stuff, and this has got to be good if the announcement was this big what 's it going to be like when we get there and we find the savior and we find the king and we find Christ and we find the lord i mean they 're probably thinking this is going to be awesome. And they get there and imagine what it must have been like for them when they show up and all they find is this, this building tucked somewhere away in the city of Bethlehem. And there's all this hustle and bustle. And maybe by now it's daytime. Maybe by now the city is waking up. And all these folks from, from all over the region have come to Bethlehem for this census, ultimately, to, just like they did. And it's just such a busy scene, but tucked in the back of all of it, there's this, this building all right? And it seems as though there's nobody would ever stay there, but there's this little Jewish couple, and they're in a feeding trough with maybe a little bit of hay. There's a baby. You didn't even notice the star in the sky. The angels are long since gone. There's no signs. There's no band. <laughs> there's no lights. No smoke. No show. Just like they said, lying in a manger is God, the Savior, Christ, the Lord. And in those days, when we look at the story, they found God where they least expected. probably would have expected him to be in the temple certainly they would have expected him being at one of the rituals that a jewish family would have recognized that they weren't able to be a part of as shepherds typically and maybe the passover celebration surely god if he's going to come he's going to show up at that right he's going to go to church he's going to be in the midst of his people but in those days they found him where they least expected they they found him in a dirty old manger (laughs) And if it wasn't a a manger as we envision it as a feeding trough, it would have likely been that enclosure where the animals were kept, not where you would have expected to find God. In those days, they found Him where they least expected. And you know what? In these days that we live in today, people are still finding God where they least expected as well. Sometimes they're finding Him when everything's falling apart there he is. He's my hope. Sometimes they find him when the dreams have already just sort of evaporated away of what thought life was going to be like. And there God is. He's not a dream. He's creator. He's savior. And people find God where they least expected him in the midst of of their hopelessness. Maybe even for some of you today, you're here every single Sunday, or maybe today's your very first time ever being here, and yet you carry such guilt and you carry such shame and you carry such sorrow and you carry such hard-heartedness or such unforgiveness or whatever it may be, and yet it's in the midst of that maybe that today, perhaps for the very first time, you can find God there (laughs) because He chose to step into the midst of all of that that would cost Him a cross because He loves you that much. Luke goes on, verse 17 through verse 19, as we're weaving our way through this to a close. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Did you know that for a shepherd in the first century, in Jewish culture, that their testimony was not even allowed in any type of a legal proceeding? Their testimony was not accepted in court, basically. Yet here they are, the least likely included in the grand story of God, and they're the ones who are bringing to Mary and to Joseph themselves, the testimony of what they had heard proclaimed by the angels. It says, And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20 closes out this passage of Scripture. Look at what it says there. Verse 20, next slide if we can, please. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God. This would have been in public. This would not have been under a roof. They didn't get back, build a tent, and say, okay guys, huddle up. Let's glorify and praise God here. Don't let anybody hear you. Right? We're just shepherds. We might get fired. They didn't do that. They went out in the open, wide open. They went from casual uh, or, or unaware shepherds to observers, ultimately to missionaries like that. And they went out praising and glorifying God for what they had heard, for what they had seen, for everything that had been told them. They now became not casual, on the fringe parts of the story. They now became, for those who would hear this message for the first time through them, they became key players. They became key players in the story as they ultimately would travel and go to share everything that they had just experienced and how their lives had been changed. You know what? You're the same way. In those days, God used the least expected to be missionaries. And in these days, He uses the least as well. And our salvation isn't just for us. It's for those who need to hear through us. You know, verse 16 has one little phrase that I want to point out before we're done it says so they came in a hurry i think it's interesting that luke includes that phrase in this particular passage of scripture you know i believe that god wrote his word just like he says he says he does in his word i think he wrote it through unique people with unique personalities and he used their personalities as they wrote his word but it's god's word at the end of the day luke was one who who detailed everything, and he more than likely obtained much of his uh, information when he wrote his gospel from eyewitness testimonies. In fact, he says that's exactly what he did in Luke chapter 1. And I think this phrase here is a detail that he includes for a reason. And I think very possibly he may have even interviewed some of these shepherds when he wrote this particular book of Scripture and when he came to this particular passage. And I think that when he got this info, it wouldn't have been unlikely for the shepherds to tell him how they responded when they heard this news. They would have said, man, we beat it as fast as we could right to where the angels told us to go. We went in a hurry. When was the last time that you had that type of intentionality, that type of an intensity, that type of a fervor, that type of a passion to rush into the presence of God? says, man, I can't can't wait to get into his presence. Whether that's in a church context, I can't wait to just go and worship him with my people, right? My church family. I can't wait to be home and to open up his word and to let him speak into my heart and speak into my life. When was the last time that you rushed rushed in a hurry into the presence of God? I'll be honest with you, there are times in my life where it's not nearly as quickly as it should be. (laughs) And yet their experience, man, it changed everything. And in those days, God used the least likely and the least likely place. And he still reached in the least likely at the least likely moments of life. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, there is no better time than right now to trust him for the very first time. To come into your life to forgive you, to save you, to take over, to be savior, and to be Lord. And right where you sit this morning, you may have come in not expecting a whole lot. You know, when we come in, we're, I'm sure we're going to sing Christmas songs because it's right before Christmas. He's probably going to talk about some Christmas story right out of the Bible, and then I'll finish my stuff, and I'll go out in the rain, 100% chance of rain today, and I'll do my 100% chance of shopping, and then tomorrow I'll go do my 100% chance of shopping in another 100% chance of rain day, right? You didn't really have high hopes maybe coming in here. I, w- I hope you did, but maybe you didn't, and when you came in, you would have never expected that today would be the day where God would intersect His grace with your failure, your sin, or his grace and his hope and his healing with your hurt and your pain and your struggle. And yet here he is, and he's done exactly that. And today, at the least likely moment, in the least likely place, you're at a time and you're at a place where you're ready to say, you know what, Jesus, just take it all. Forgive me and take over. (laughs) And he'll do it. He'll do it if you just ask him. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as Adam comes, I want to give the opportunity to do that today if you're at a time and if you're at a place where you're ready to give your life back to or give your life to Christ you know maybe for you you found all kinds of reasons through the days and through the years of why you're not ready to follow jesus but today you're at a place where god's spirit has spoken so loudly into your life that you realize that you can't do anything but follow him starting today and for you if you're ready and you're willing to lay down your sin the best that you can And if you're ready and willing to trust your life to Jesus and to surrender to him, then he'll be glad to take over and he'll save you and he'll forgive you and he'll wipe that slate clean and he'll be your God from these days forward. You can pray a prayer like this if you're ready. Lord Jesus, I know that I need you and I know that my sin has broken my relationship with God. But Jesus, I believe that you are God and that you came and that you died for me, that you rose again from the dead and that today is an act of my will. I lay down my sin and I invite you, Jesus, to forgive me and to save me and to take over from this day forward. I trust only you for this salvation. Help me to follow you and do with me as only you can from this day forward. In your name, Jesus, I pray.